series, the book of Colossians, and, uh, and we're all the way to Colossians, the first chapter in the 19th verse. And uh, <clears throat> in the 19th verse, chapter 1, we begin to talk about, we're talking about reconciliation and how we're reconciled through the blood of Jesus. You know, the Christianity is referred to as a blood religion, and the reason for that is because of the blood. And, and a lot of people have wanted, different denominations and individuals have wanted to remove the blood because they don't think it's a very appetizing subject, I guess. You know, but uh, the Bible declares without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And so Christianity is a blood religion, but it's, it's based on the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that it was His blood that was shed so that we might be reconciled to Him. And so uh, <clears throat> where we are, we're, we're in our notes from last week. I didn't have copies of all of it, and so some of you may not have it, and I'll try to get uh, into tonight's lesson just as quick as we, as we can. But we're beginning by talking about uh, how we've been, we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And so <clears throat> Colossians 1.19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him uh, all the fullness should dwell. And of course, it's talking about Jesus, that all the, the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead, everything that was available was in Jesus. Now let me read it. This is in your notes uh, from the um, literal translation. It says, for, and the Greek word that is atai, because. So because it pleased, it okoye, he has determined to approve, to think well. So God had determined to uh, be approved of or think well of what Jesus was doing. The Father, <clears throat> that it pleased the Father, that in Him, speaking of Jesus, should all fullness, phleme, uh, to fill uh, all deficiency. You know what's so exciting about that? When we're full of Jesus, we have no deficiency in our life because Jesus filled every deficiency. You know, whatever would be, whatever's needful in your life, um, Jesus came and he filled it. Um, to dwell or to permanently abide. And so it pleased the Father uh, to send Jesus, and he was the fullness of the Godhead. And as a result of that, there's no deficiency. We can find whatever we need, we can find it in Jesus. And he, he dwells in us. And he's permanently made us his abode. And so he's not going to leave us. And so when we have a deficiency in our life, we're not going to find it out here someplace. We're not going to find it in another person. You know, one of the, the great lies young people buy into is I just got to find a mate because if I can find the mate, then I'll be complete. Man, if you ain't complete without a mate, you're going to have a lot of trouble when you find one. Can I hear an amen just because? You know, uh, but, it, but it's the truth. And because that, that doesn't complete a person. We find that which 
is deficient in our life, we find it in Jesus. And uh, then when we find that, we find the right person and then a person can be happy. But they always want to make it the other way around. They're, they're lonely, they're depressed or whatever. If I can just find somebody. No, they're just going to make you lonelier and depresser. You know, because they have the same problems you have. Because they're looking for the same type of individual. That's why we, we, we want to be complete in Jesus. And this is what it, what it tells us. Is that through the blood of Jesus there's no deficiency. Going on into the 20th verse. How about that? We're not even 15 minutes in. I'm already in the second verse for the evening. Those of you that are visiting, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but those that have been coming know exactly what I've been talking about. But in, in the 20th verse it says, And by him, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood by the cross. And so we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. Now here's the um, literal translation. And having made peace, in the Greek is irene, make peace. And so he made peace for us. It wasn't because of our doing. But God made peace for us through the blood of his son, or through the blood of his cross. In other words, talking about spiritual death. We were, we were separated from God through spiritual death when Adam sinned. And when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on him for the first time in all of eternity. Jesus did not sense the presence of his Father. And that's what spiritual death is. It doesn't mean cease to exist. It's talking about separation. And so Jesus was separated from the Father for you and I so that in his resurrection we might be reunited with him. That we might once again have fellowship with him. So, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so we have peace with God. We're, we're not at enmity with God any longer. We're not, there isn't any division there. We have peace with God. Good news. God's not mad at you. He loves you. You're at peace with him. Um, by him to reconcile a paculasio, uh, restitution between two warring parties. We're at war with God because of the nature. But we've been brought to peace. We now have peace with him. All things unto Ete himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth, man, or things in heaven, principalities. And so, <clears throat> whether things in heaven or whether things in the earth, whether principalities and powers, he's brought peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus made reconciliation with God for you and I at the cross, and Satan no longer has dominion over us. That's good news. Let me tell you something. I, I probably told you the same something last week. But I am, I am totally, you know, I, I was, I've been raised uh, since I've been born again uh, in the charismatic move and, and believing in demonic entities and so forth and their powers and so forth. I am more convinced that I ever have been in, in my entire life of the power of Satan and demonic entities in this world that we live in. Because I do not believe human beings can treat one another 
the way that human beings are treating other human beings unless there be a demonic entity and that's involved in it. It's demonically inspired when somebody, I, I, I saw a report of a, a, a two-year-old a two two little girl being abducted and for uh, hours that little two-year-old was raped and eventually killed and mutilated by, by some perverted man. Men may have wickedness in them, but no man is that wicked. That requires a demonic power to produce something like that in an individual. And that's why, you know, we, we visit the prisons and, you know, the thing that I've learned is there's a lot of people that have done bad things, but they're not necessarily bad people. It's because of what is behind that's causing them to do many of the things that they do. And so Satan no longer has power over us. Uh, we've been reunited with God. We have restoration with God. Um, we have authority that's been invested in us because it was invested in Jesus. Authority over powers and principalities. And so those things that once dominated us, whether it be in thought or whether it be in deed, we now have authority over that in the name of Jesus. And we can resist those entities and the Bible says that they have to leave. And so reconciliation is the removal of the barrier between God and man. There was a barrier between us and that barrier has been removed. And so now we can once again have fellowship with God. If you've got the notes from last week, I've got a whole list of barriers and how God was a solution. I'm gonna let you um, study that for yourself, but I'll just read through a couple of them real quick. The problem was sin. The solution, unlimited atonement. We've been atoned. The problem, the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin is death. The solution, expiation through Jesus Christ. In other words, it's been taken care of, it's been paid for. The problem, human good, because humans think that they can be good, but they can't. What was the answer? Reconciliation or regeneration through Christ Jesus. Um, and so you go through those and you study them for yourself and, and you see what reconciliation did. It created within us or brought us back into harmony with God once again. Um, the believers in the church age have the ministry of reconciliation and so the privilege that's in, in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, 18 through 20, it talks about how we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Not only have we been reconciled with God, but we now have the privilege of seeing or being part of individuals being reconciled with God. That they can come to the realization that their sins are forgiven, that they no longer have to live the life of death and destruction that they once lived, that they can now live the life of victory. And that's all through Jesus. And then we move on into verse 21. We're still in Colossians 1 and it says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet now he has, you uh, have been reconciled. Again, reading out of the literal, it says, and you that were sometimes at one time alienated and enemies in your mind. Uh, the thoughts, you know where it starts? Thoughts, it starts in our thought life. You know, if, you know the, the Bible says that if we can control our thoughts, if we can, can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 
You know, the enemy doesn't have any, any playground to mess with. And that's why our thought life is so important. That's why it's so important what we put into our, our minds, what we see, what we hear. The Bible talks about our eye gate and our ear gate. That's how, uh, how we receive information, by what we see or by what we hear. And that's why it's so important because that's what determines our thoughts. You know, people talk about how they just fell into sin. No, nobody falls into sin. We walk into sin. And it begins with a thought. We entertain that thought. Our imagination takes over. And the next thing that happens is we step into it. And you see, that's the problem with sin. Sin is progressive. There isn't anything stagnant about it. Because a, a person that's operating in one level today, they'll be deeper into it the next day. That's why pornography is so evil. Is because you receive it through your eye gate or ear gate, however you receive it. And what it does is it, it creates thoughts, it creates images. And, and what happens is eventually an individual is going to begin to, they're going to be, begin to live it out. They're going to begin to step it out. And so that's just one area and it's such an obvious area, but it's true in every area. And so reading on alienated enemies in your mind by wicked, Penario, hurtful, evil, uh, callous, evil stuff, works, human good. You know, what, what happens is we begin to justify it in our thinking. Well, it does, it's really not, I'm not hurting anybody. But see, it eventually does hurt somebody because we begin to live it out. Yet now hath he reconciled. We've been reconciled. We're separated from God. But now we've been brought back into harmony with him. And like I said already, sin begins in a thought. Activity begins in a thought. What happens is we begin to, uh, to walk those things out. And what happens is that it begins to steal from us what God's provided for us. It, it takes away our peace. You know, somebody, <coughs> we're, we're, um, we have some new members tonight that just um, joined the church, and so I had them sign their signature. And of course, you know, I've learned that you've got to uh, first have people print their names and then give the signature, otherwise you'll never figure out who the signature is. You know, I remember one time I was trying to, um, you know, uh, bring our books up to date, and, and all I had was signatures, and there were literally names. I couldn't figure out who it was. And so it was by a, a matter of, uh, what, what do you call it when you... Uh, yeah, process of elimination that I figured out who the names were. Because, they, I mean, I'm a horrible writer. And anyway, they, they said, so, so if you write as badly as you do, do you have to, do you write in tongues? And I said, well, no, I don't write in tongues, but I have to pray for interpretation, you know, before I, I read my writing. And so it's true for everybody else. So I don't have any idea what I was talking about there, you know. But it had something to do with peace. And so what it does is it begins to steal our peace from us. In other words, when, when we walk in that direction, you know, you're forgiven. Amen? Amen. When, 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 when you are forgiven, you are forgiven of all, all sin, past, present, and future. That was all taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so people say, well, well you know, pastor, if you really believe that, then a person can go out and do whatever they want. Well, there, there's a problem with that. If you go out and do whatever you want that's contrary to the Word of God, you become insensitive to the things of God. 
you become more sensitive to the things of the world and so you're you're drawn to the world and and you know I don't believe that anything can separate us from the love of God but one and that's if I choose to walk away from him now I happen to think that you're pretty stupid if you do but, but people have. They have chosen to say, I'm not going to serve God anymore. I'm going to walk my own way. I'm tired of, I'm tired of this. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and if they want to walk away, God's a gentleman. He's going to let them do that. But see, that's what happens when we allow our thoughts to begin to dominate ourselves because if we don't control them, because then we begin to think like the world. And when we begin to think like the world, we'll be drawn to the world. And what happens is the world begins to look good. You know, I'm 68 years old, or not quite, I'm only 67. You know, but, uh, uh, but the thing that I found is that, you know those good old days everybody talks about? They weren't that good. In fact, those good old days, there's absolutely nothing good about it. I went to my, my, my 50th uh, class reunion uh, this past summer. And, uh, you know, my, my old buddies were there. You know, and, and some of you have heard me share this, but there were, um, there, there were four of us. We just, uh, we did everything together. You know, we, we were gonna be buddies forever because we were so close. After graduation, I don't know if I talked to him more than two times in the last 50 years. You know, but um, those good old days where we were running around doing stuff that we're doing and so forth, and, and so my, my, my buddies, um, the one was a year younger than me, and so of course he wasn't at our reunion, and I, I wanted to find out what happened to him. I wanted to know what was going on in past life. Well. Uh, he had died just over six months ago, you know, from, uh, uh, I, I think it was a form of cancer or something like that. Uh, so he's gone. Um, Red, Russell was his name, we called him Red. We were real imaginative, he had red hair. You know, and so, uh, but Russell was dead. Um, and he spent the last three or four years of his life over in a, nursing home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because um, he had basically drank himself into the grave and totally um, destroyed his innards and his life. And so, you know, here he is, he's, he's gone. And then there was Clayton. And uh, Clayton was at the reunion, but, but Clayton's wife basically had to lead him around. You know, because, you know, he is in, he is in Vietnam and was in Vietnam, he got, he got hooked on drugs. And so I don't know if it was just totally the drugs or dementia had set in or a combination of both. Um, but it was, you know, I, I could carry on a conversation with him, but it was, it was not good. My three buddies, good old days. You know, thank God at the age of 24, I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and my life has never been the same since. Um, they didn't have, well, I, I can't say they didn't have the same opportunity, but if they did, they didn't take advantage of it. And so that's, that's the direction that the world will ultimately lead you. And I'll guarantee you something. At the age of 16, 17, 18, 19, when we were running around, the last thought in the world that any one of us had 
was that the activity that we were producing in our life was going to lead to an early death or destruction into our life. And you see, the devil's a deceiver. He'll tell you how good something will make you feel. But he won't tell you what the end results of it's going to be. Now the thing about Jesus, he'll tell you what's going to happen. And he'll tell you what the end results are going to be. And I can tell you what the end result is going to be. The end result of following Jesus is going to be a life and a life more abundantly. And even if we don't experience it, all of it here on earth, we're going to spend eternity in his presence. Oh, mercy's sakes alive. You know, how did that come out of that verse? Nothing like that was supposed to come out of that verse. So I'd get through this tonight. Let's go on to verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy. Oh. How, how can you read this and not get excited? How can you read this and not just give out a Holy Ghost shout or something? In the body of his flesh through death. Talking about Jesus' death. To present. Why did he die? So that he could present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In whose sight? In God's sight. And so that's why it tells us in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace to receive help in our time with need. And we can do that with no sense of guilt or shame or inferiority because of what Jesus has done for us. And so whatever need you have in your life, you can approach God and you can say, I have this need. And the Father, His answer, as long as we ask, according to his will, which is revealed to us in his word, is always yes and amen. You know, and I was still in a denominational church in Ankeny. Went to a meeting with my pastor one time. Loved the man, he was a great teacher. But, uh, you know, he knew that I was spirit-filled and that was fine with him. And, uh, but, uh, he wasn't, and that was fine with me. Although he didn't get everything he had in the store for him. But anyway, but we're, we're talking, and he says, you know, I finally got it figured out. He says, why is it that sometimes our prayers are answered and sometimes they're not? And so nobody say anything, because I have somebody that amens this, and then I feel bad because, you know, their amen was, should have been an old me. You know, and, uh, uh, and, and so he says, I, I finally got it figured out. He says, when we ask God for something, sometimes his answer is yes, and sometimes his answer is no. And I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. Until I ran across a scripture that said, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Amen means so be it. And so when I ask according to God's will, he says, by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. So if I ask for healing in my body, he says, yes, so be it. He says, he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So if I approach him with a need, he says, yes, so be it. You know, and so those are the promises that we have in his, in his word. You know, and we, we can go to, through, to Ephesians, and it says that the manifold promises of God, you know, in other words, all the blessings of God are made available to us right here and right now. Let me le read this in the literal. It says, in the body of his flesh through death. And so 
Death is required. Death is required. There had to be a penalty that was paid for your sin and my sin. And the penalty of sin, and it still is, the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus died for the penalty of sin. Even though he had never sinned, he was a substitute. He took our place. And he was able to do that because he was the perfect sacrifice. And so he paid the price for your sin and my sin. He was our substitute. So guess what? I don't ever have to die for my sins. You don't ever have to die for your sins because Jesus did it for you. I played football. You can't tell it right now. <clears throat> but, I, but I actually did. I love football. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things that, that about football is if you're in the game and they send a substitute in for you, that means you don't get to play anymore. You've got to go stand on the sidelines. Guess what? We're all standing on the sidelines because Jesus was our substitute. He, he took the fight to the evil one. He destroyed principalities, powers and principalities. And it said that he made an open spectacle, an open display of him so that all principalities, powers, angels, everyone could see the devil has been whooped. And he did it for you and I. And so the, the, the price for your sin and my sin was paid for through the blood of Jesus. To the body of his flesh through death, to present, to consecrate you holy and unblameable. Unblameable, without blame. No blame can be brought against you. You know what? <clears throat> the Bible talks about Satan being the accuser of the brethren. And it says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. But you know what's exciting about that? The accuser of the brethren, Satan, wasn't cast down until God had given us the equipment, the Holy Spirit, to be able to deal with him. And so when the accuser comes against you. Don't, don't take that accusation. You just say, take it up with Jesus because he is my substitute. He paid the price, the ultimate price, so that I might be free. Don't, don't sit back and to take those accusations. You know, people, people say all kinds of ugly about people. You know, I, I've had things said about me and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> I, I used to think that I needed to defend myself and eventually I learned that every time I did, I just dug the hole deeper. And I realized God's my vindicator. And so when somebody says something ugly about you, don't, don't feel like you gotta defend yourself. Just say, I thank you, Jesus, that you're my vindicator. And you know what? I can't tell you how many times people have been ugly towards me and said things about me, accused me of things. And down the road, they came along and they, they said, you know, I don't know if you know this. I used to say this about you. And I, yeah, I know. So I'm really sorry. I was wrong. We had one guy when he was in high school. He visited church one Sunday. And I have a feeling he got convicted by the Holy Ghost that Sunday. He came with his girlfriend and uh, never came back again. But we're, we're known all over the place because uh, 
he, he, just, he just hated the church. Like I said, I'm, I'm convinced it was uh, the Holy Ghost that he confused him. And he'd go to beer parties and he'd, he'd build this, this structure out of beer cans and then he'd go kick it down. And he said, I'm kicking down Abundant Life Ministries. And, and, uh, and, and one Sunday he showed up in church and he'd gotten born again. And after the service he came up and he says, Pastor, I just want to, I just want you to forgive me, you know, because this is what I used to do. And I says, well, I'd already forgiven you, but for your, I forgive you. And we prayed with him and he got baptized in the Holy Ghost and prayed in other tongues that morning before he left the building. You know, God's your vindicator. And so you don't have to worry about it because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And so we're not going to be judged. We judge ourselves according to the Word of God. But we don't have to worry about judgment coming against us. We have the reward, and the reward is what we have in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, let's go to our new notes. We're going get, to get through a little bit of stuff tonight. And so, in this, in this next section of Scripture, Paul brings an admonition he admonishes the church of Colossia, the saints, to continue in the word that they, <clears throat> that they have been faithfully taught. Continue in the word that you've been faithfully taught. You know, because what the word is supposed to do and what the word does in our life is truth builds upon truth. You know, my brother Hagen made this statement. Brother Hagen made this statement before he had gone. He says, take my books, take my tapes, memorize them, outline them, preach them, but don't stop there. Build upon that. Because what he had seen had happened in my, my past when I went off to Bible school in Missouri, came and visited me that morning that we were leaving. And, and you know, I was leaving the denomination to go into this independent work. And he said, he said, Dave, you're doing the right thing. He says, because all that I see coming out of our denominations, and he named the denomination, and he says, it's the same thing over and over again. Well, of course it was. Because they haven't, they haven't changed what they've taught for 400 years. And, and you need that foundation. But you know what? God is still revealing things to us in the Word. That's why we don't ever have to be bored, worry about getting bored about being a Christian, because as long as we live, in fact, I believe throughout all eternity, we're going to continue to learn more and more about God, because God is so big, we'll never be able to comprehend the bigness of God throughout all of eternity. And so we'll never have to worry about being bored. And so when truth comes, truth ought to build upon truth. You know, I, I've seen people come along and they, they get this new message and, and so they forsake everything that they've already learned. Well, no, if, it's, if, if truth is truth, then it ought to build upon the truth. You know, the foundation for everything that we have, we find in Hebrews 6, uh, 1 and 2. And it talks about the six basic elementary principles of Christ. And the repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. 
upon these six doctrines, all doctrine lie. And so anybody that comes along and they preach something to you, contrary to repentance and faith in the completed works of Jesus, you just walk out the room right then. Because it's a lie, it's a deception. When somebody comes along and they begin to teach to you a, 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 a baptism that's other than the baptisms that we find in the scriptures, you, you, go, you go someplace else because what they're teaching you, you can't build upon the truth that's already been given to us in the Word of God. Now, like I said, I believe that revelation is perpetual, that it's, that it's continual. But it's continual revelation of the Word of God. It'll always be found in the Word, not outside of the Word. You know, we have different uh, religions and organizations that have their books in addition to the Bible. But if they have a book that's in addition to the Bible, it needs to be submitted to the Bible. And if it doesn't line up with the Bible, then it's error, it's inaccurate, it's a lie, it's deception. And so our basis of truth is not what Pastor Dave says. Our basis for truth is always what the Word of God says. And so, you know, anytime I preach, and that's why in your notes, I've got all the scripture passages and stuff, you know, so you don't have to come to me and say, uh, Pastor, if you're going to teach that, you're going to have to show me chapter and verse. You got chapter and verse. You know, and that, that's essential. That's, you know, uh, any, any preacher that can't stand being questioned isn't a legitimate preacher. Because anything that we teach is, is subject to question. But the answer is always to be found in the Word of God. If it can't be found in the Word, then we want to move on. Well, we're going to move on to verse 23. Sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yes, Lord. I hear you, Lord. <laughs> oh, that's outside the book, isn't it? <laughs> Maturity is a result of the Word. Verse 23 in, in chapter 1. If indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know, Paul is preaching to these individuals, and remember, he... He really wasn't in Colossae, but he taught their pastor. And, and he's telling them, you know, you've stuck to the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Don't ever stray from it. Let's look at, in, look at it in the, in the literal translation. It's what's in your notes. If you continue, stay on top, in the faith grounded upon a, found, a firm foundation, founded and settled, stabilized, and be not moved away, swiver, uh, swerved, swerving from the hope. Don't swerve from the hope. There's a hope that's been given to you. You know, several years ago, um, I think it was John Osteen wrote this little mini book. And the title of the book was, Whatever Happened to Hope? You know, because we, we talk about faith, 
how important faith is, and we talk about love, how important love is. But it says faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And the only reason love is the greatest is because God is love. It's his very nature. But it's faith, hope, and love. And, and, and oftentimes we, we ignore the hope part of it. But you know what? Hope is essential in our life. When you read the Bible and you see that, you know, it, it begins to build hope in you. And see, hope always has to precede faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when we're going through the Bible and we see the promises that are available to us and we see the examples of individuals being healed and set free, it begins to build hope in our life. And as we have that hope rise up on the inside of us, at a certain point, we can reach out and say, I see that that belongs to me and I receive it right now in Jesus' name. You know, on that, that Saturday morning, in the basement of Vern Lewis's house, as, as Vern and two other guys were sharing the gospel with me, and they began to share the scripture with me, there was something that began to rise up on the inside of me because even though I'd gone to church my entire life, every time I got into a somewhat precarious situation, fear would literally take me over. And I'm sitting there this morning, that morning, and all of a sudden, hope began to rise up. Why did hope rise up? Because they were sharing their stories and because they were sharing the Word of God. And before I left that basement that morning, faith demanded that I take a hold and I receive what Jesus had done for me. And that morning, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Even though I'd gone to church my entire life, that morning I received Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And my life has never been the same. My marriage was restored. My kids haven't rebelled. You know, God placed me in this position. And it's all because of the grace of God, because of His love, because He wanted to before I ever knew it was possible. And that's how he is for each and every one of us. From the hope, confidence, expectation. Do you have expectation in your life? If you don't, you don't have any hope. You know, I have people come in and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I just, I just need more faith. Will you pray for me to have faith? And well, faith doesn't come by praying. Faith comes by hearing. But I'll, I'll listen to them and, and, and I come to this realization, they don't need more faith. I mean, they're already saved. If, if you're saved, you've got faith the size of the mustard seed, and that means you can say to that mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, and, it, and, and if you don't doubt, it's going to move. So their problem isn't faith, because that, they had enough faith to get saved, so you got enough faith to move a mountain. The problem is they don't have any hope. They don't have any expectation. You know, we talk about if you don't study the Word of God, <clears throat> you won't have any faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But there's another side of it too. If we don't spend time in the Word of God, if we don't hear what God is doing in the world, we don't have any hope, we don't have any expectation. We just have the case of Rasa attitude. What will be, will be. Is this all there is? Our favorite book is Ecclesiastes. It's time to live and time to die. We were listening to an old 60 songs the other day and, 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 and that, for every da, 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 da. And I thought, man, they were biblical back then. You know, although I knew they were a bunch of, we won't go there. You know, <clears throat> but anyway. But we need to have hope, confidence, expectation of the gospel, which you've heard. If you haven't heard it, you can't have any expectations of it. But when we hear it, there's an expectation. There's a confidence. 
that rises up. And, you know, a lot of people, what they interpret with, with certain Christians, because they're so bold, they interpret it as being arrogant. And it's not arrogant. It's confidence. It's expectation that God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Every one of us ought to have that confidence. Every one of us ought to have that expectation that God will do exactly what he said he would do. From the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, and which was preached to every creature, all creation, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made, became a minister. And so Paul is saying to us, this is how the church in Corinth, because, see, God doesn't want us to just get born again and that be the end of it. Our born again experience is the, ought to be the beginning of an adventure. It isn't the end of it all. And I think many people say, well, I finally arrived. I've, I've prayed the prayer. No, you've, you've just begun. The, the, the adventure is only, it's just begun. You know, Pastor Becky and I, we, we reminisce often when we were down in Honduras and we went to, when we were down there for Sarah and Edward's wedding. And, and they wanted us to climb this little mountain because there were monkeys on the top of the mountain. And so everybody's going to climb up the mountain. It's just this little mountain. And so we're climbing up this little mountain and Becky's got these open shoes and so forth on. And we're going up this mountain. And there's this expectation when we start out to get up the mountain. And so we get up on this little plateau and they say, oh, it's just a little bit higher and, and, and we'll be there. And so you go up this next thing and another little plateau and it towing it goes up again. You know, we have this expectation to get up there and see monkeys. And so we finally got up on top of the mountain to see the mount monkeys. And there weren't any monkeys. Now, the worst of it, it was we had to go back down the mountain. And that may not seem like that big of a deal, but I remember uh, Doug's wife. Mitzi, Mitzi was there, and they, we were, our four, us four were together. And Doug and I both had to walk in front of our wives so they could push on us because their shoes wouldn't grip. And, and, and poor Mitzi, her feet were bloody by the time we got to the bottom. But we get down at the bottom of the mountain, there were the monkeys. Don't trust man with your expectations. <laughs> trust the Word of God, because it'll come to pass. You know, trust man, you may climb the mountain, you climb back down again, and maybe and maybe not, you'll see the monkeys. And you know what, it really wasn't even that thrilling. <laughs> By that point, it wasn't thrilling at all. So anyway. But there, there's this hope that we have. And it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever turn away from the gospel. Don't allow anybody to pull you from the simplicity. You hear me? The simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, after almost 44 years of serving Jesus, what I found to be more important, you know, I, I love, you know, I include the Greek and some of that, and, you know, I, I love Rick Renner, and, and you know, because he really gets into the Greek and the Hebrew and so forth. I, I, I enjoy studying those things. But I don't ever get tired of the simple gospel 
Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was raised from the dead, and Jesus is coming back. That's the simplicity of the gospel. And anything that anybody teaches you that takes you away from that, I would move away from them. Because it's, it's not going to build your faith, it's going to erode your faith. Let's go to verse 24. I now rejoice in my suffering for you and for you and filled up uh, in my flesh that is and filled up in my flesh that was lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. Now now these these verses can be extremely confusing. You know and people have interpreted them um, wildly. I didn't turn any air on tonight, so it's really getting warm in here. But it says, the literal says, now who rejoices in my suffering for you? And fill up, fill a deficiency that which is behind, lacking of the afflictions, the burden, the tribulation, the trouble of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul here isn't saying, now I've gotta, I've gotta suffer to complete the works of Jesus. You know, there is, a, there is a suffering that you and I go through. It's known as persecution. It's also known as obedience. <laughs> Because we don't, we don't want to obey. We want, we want to do our own. We want to do our own deal. And so there is, there is this deficiency. But as we, as we yield to the Holy Spirit and to the work of the Holy Spirit, He fills that which is in us, so that we can follow after Him and fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. Everything that He has for each and every one of us. So, Christ completed the work. I can't die for you. You can't die for you. Only one could die for you, Jesus. I can't take stripes for you. You can't take stripes for yourself. There's only one that could take stripes for you for the healing of your body. That's Jesus. I can't become poor enough for you. But Jesus became poor for you so that you might experience his riches. Jesus received the fullness of the Father so that peace, joy, patience, goodness, all the, the attributes of God are available to each and every one of us as Jesus lives and abides in us. And when we allow him to do so, and as we come to recognize and understand and realize what Jesus has done for us, it fills the deficiency in our lives. You know, if you're an individual that is tormented by fear and anxiety, the cure to that isn't drugs. The cure to that is peace and joy and patience. And the only place that we find that is in Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying that to, to need medication is evil. It's like I heard somebody 
Brother Hagen, I think it was, said one time, he said, thank God for medication. It keeps us alive until God can heal us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, but, 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 but that's the answer. And so if, if you're taking medication because of fear or anxiety or whatever you're, you're, you're dealing with in your life, take the medication. And as you're taking it, say, thank you, Jesus, for your peace. Thank you, Jesus, for your joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Thank you, Jesus, that that my mind is clear, that my, my, my chemical deficiencies in my brain are being redone, filled, taken care of, whatever. I've got nurses here. I should have them preaching this for me. They know the, the right stuff to say. But you know what I'm saying. But so you take that for the physical. You need to also take it for the spiritual and feed your spiritual man. Jesus told us we would suffer in this life as he did. How did Jesus suffer? He suffered persecution. He suffered rejection because people wouldn't accept him for who he was. You know what, there's people out there, they won't accept you for who you are. They hear that you're a Christian and they, they immediately look down their pointy little nose at you. But you see, we don't have to let that bother us because we can, we can just look at it and say, well, Jesus went through this. Because of Jesus living and abiding in me, I can handle it. Because the Holy Spirit empowers me to be an overcomer. And so Paul is saying, what I preach to you and what you're now hearing is the same thing. And don't stray from it. Don't ever let go of it. And then we go on into the 25th verse and Paul's responsibility and burden. He says in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. That's running material right there. Just think about it. We are to fulfill the word of God. What does that mean? That means that all of those promises are to, to, are to be fulfilled in our life. You know what? If we don't walk in peace, nobody will. If we don't walk in joy, nobody will. If we don't walk in prosperity, nobody will. If we don't walk in healing, nobody will. If we don't experience the graces, the blessings of God in our life, nobody will. And that means that what Jesus did then was of no benefit because nobody's benefiting from it. Does that make any sense to you? You know, when I, when I do something for somebody's benefit, I want it to benefit them. Jesus did what he did for our benefit. And so it's to be fulfilled in your life and in my life. Well, <clears throat> praise the Lord. We're not getting any closer to catching up. But we've got to quit. 
So be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in the mighty name of Jesus. And have a great rest of the week.